is Behind the Cut with Christopher Grenland, the companion show to Not About Lumberjacks. I wasn't sure about releasing Under the Big Top. Not only is it almost twice as long as the longest episode of Not About Lumberjacks, but it breaks a lot of rules for mysteries. It's an older story I've let sit for some time, thinking the day would come when I'd trim the long opening and get into the story quicker. I'd tighten up some of the writing that seemed off and improve some of the issues with its flow. But I've not released a story in some time, so I released it as is. I figured I could use this episode of Behind the Cut to talk about how good enough is often, well, good enough. Or to say, hey, some of my older writing had issues, but you get better with practice. A funny thing happened with this episode, though. People really seem to love it. Where I see room for so much improvement, others see a story that took them away from everything for an hour. I feel mysteries have an inherent problem of deception, with red herrings and other misdirection placed there for no other reason than to give readers and listeners more to consider, but that's a big part of the fun for many. I've released other Not About Lumberjacks episode I wasn't so sure about, only to realize, when I sit down and listen to them with my wife, that I like them quite a bit. Sitting down with a splash of bourbon and listening to Under the Big Top with my wife reminded me what we're not so sure about often isn't as big a deal as it can be in our minds. While I believe all stories are mysterious, at least in the sense we don't know everything about them and how they will end, I've not read many actual mysteries. A few Tony Hillerman novels and a couple other things is about it. Oddly, while I'm not much of a mystery fan, my second novel, which I tucked away in a drawer, is a paranormal mystery set in Chicago in the 1920s. Two novels ago, it was a story about a recently divorced celebrity chef who moves to a small town in northern Wisconsin right about the time the town's most hated resident goes missing. I think the reason I rewrote the Wisconsin story until it felt right, but shelved the Chicago story, is the point of that one was the mystery. The Wisconsin story is about so much more. When the mystery is the point, stories often feel forced to me. Characters are placed there to give readers options to roll over in their minds. If an investigator is looking for just one person who we know did it, well... That's not very mysterious, is it? None of this is to knock the genre. It's just not my preference. And maybe that's why I was never so sure about Under the Big Top. It's not the kind of story I normally write. Most tales shared on Not About Lumberjacks have a quirky side to them, and I understand those stories, like mysteries to me, might not be one's preference. So why did I write under the big top? It was a challenge in my old writing group. I wanted to see if I could pull off something I wasn't sure about. Because here's another thing about mysteries and me. While they are not my preference, I respect good mysteries as much as I respect anything. I know there's a different craft that goes into them. In many ways, they're harder to write than the kinds of things I normally write. There are more rules to follow, perhaps, and to learn which to bend or break. 
Mysteries require a different kind of effort than most of the things I write. One of the other reasons I don't prefer mysteries is I don't like trying to figure things out when I read. This might sound strange to some because often writers say they can't enjoy reading or watching movies because they can see where the story is likely to go. But I prefer to lose myself when I read, so thinking who done it is not my thing. I have a general rule about stories. I only discuss stories I'm not fond of with a couple close people. I don't see the point of talking about something you don't like in the open when you can spend that time talking about something you loved. But I'm going to break my own rule and talk about a story, at least in part, that left me flat. And maybe it's that at least in part aspect that makes me feel like it's okay to talk about Dennis Lehane's Mystic River, which I largely adored. Maybe part of where it lost me was in the marketing, which billed it as a master work of mystery and not a literary novel about the past haunting the future. The actual mystery aspect of Mystic River felt a bit like a cop-out. The writing and overall story was great, but it was also like the murderer was really only there in one passing scene. Then again, maybe that's my fault for expecting certain things from mysteries. And under the big top, if I had a passing character, say a ticket taker at the circus, take Crawford's and Desner's tickets and not really give them much more time in the story than that, but later have them confess to crimes, it would seem almost unfair to the reader. It would be like a shoddy magician pointing to the wings of the stage saying, Oh my god, what's that? And throwing something in his hand to the other side while the audience's attention is elsewhere. It seems like the reader should at least get a chance to guess who done it with enough information to piece things together, not just, Ha! It was that person you barely saw and learned nothing about. In fairness to Mystic River, when I gave it more thought, the mystery wasn't so much the point. It was more about how a choice made in childhood by several friends came back in adulthood and affected almost every aspect of those characters' lives. The tragedy of what one old friend does to another hinges on that passing scene where we're briefly introduced to who killed one of the main character's daughter. While I don't like the almost inherent things one must do when writing a mystery, the red herrings and other efforts to avoid revealing who done it until much later, I understand why mysteries are so loved. I like the Hillerman books I read because I love the protagonists. And I even loved many of the characters the reader must consider if they're trying to figure out who committed an act worthy of writing a mystery and why they did it. Again, I cannot profess to being a deep reader of mysteries. I've read more than those I've mentioned, but not enough that I'd consider myself any kind of expert. But I've watched enough cozy mysteries with my wife and my mom to know how important characters are to the genre. In the end, as much as many like the challenge of figuring it all out and seeing if they're right, just as many people simply love getting to meet interesting characters. And there's no mystery to that. I appreciate that people seem to love Under the Big Top. In fact, it's done better than most episodes of Not About Lumberjacks in its initial weeks than most stories here. 
In the world of podcasting, many would say that I should now change my focus and turn the show into a vehicle for mysteries in order to get more listeners. But I will continue telling whatever story bubbles up enough in my head that it gets finished, recorded, and released. Still, if you hope for more mysteries from me, while it might be some time before I release another, you're in luck. I have a Halloween-themed story in the works tentatively titled Stopping Monsters, and another that begins with this line. The quaking bogman was gone, and Crazy Mike was found dead behind the maintenance barn, covered in grass pink and rose pagonia blossoms. Who knows? Maybe I can warm to mysteries after all. Thank you for listening to Not About Lumberjacks and Behind the Cut. Theme music for Behind the Cut is a tune called Reaper by Hrazen. Visit nolumberjacks.com for information about the music, episodes, and voice talent. In a few weeks, finally, it's the strange father and son tale I've been talking about for, well, way too long. But it's in production as I speak, features several cool people lending their voices, most notably Rick Coast. And I'm told it's a bit of a tearjerker by those who've read the story. Until next time, be mighty and keep your axes sharp.